Okay, uh, welcome to episode two of a couple of drop kicks from the Wit Noble. G'day, Jase, how are you going? Well, good. It's good to be in the club room. We're in a new setup. I'm very excited to be here in the club rooms, and we've got uh, paraphernalia, we've got the colours flying. It's uh, been a great week for footy, um, and we're sitting two and uh, zip in the men's. Collingwood last night's lost by a point. Uh, things are good in, in the footy world and from the footy gods. Absolutely, it was uh, quite a big game last night, um, but uh, yeah, it was about a little finish. It's um, living the dream happened last night. Always they kick you off the goal after the siren when you end up having a good shot and living the dream. Everyone jumps on you, and yeah. everyone's happy when uh, Collingwood goes down, and no more happy than when they lose by one point. Absolutely, uh, so yes. a good day for footy. But we've got a bit of ground to cover to in today's episode. We've we got to go back to uh, uh, the previous game for the men's against West Coast, a thriller at Marvel Stadium. We've got a wrap of the last uh, last round game for the, the women's team against Richmond. A bit of a, a grudge match uh, with Katie Brennan and Monique Conti in the mix. Yes. Um, we've got our first prelim heartbreak episode where we have a look at 1985 prelim Footscray versus Hawthorne. And then we've got a, a blast from the past. We have a good look at one of our, our club legends, um, and then we've got a bit of uh, a bit of a preview for t- uh, today's Good Friday game. So, hoping the doggies can uh, go three up in the beginning of the season. Yep, that should be really good. So let's have a look at um, at last week's game. We uh, we had a, a real match of the round. It's been described as um, between us and West Coast Eagles. Um, they came out quite um, really tight and fast in the beginning. We had uh, the our forwards start to gel together. I think now, I think we're starting to look a bit, a um, little bit more structured coming forward. Um, and even Cameron, uh, sorry, uh, Josh Bruce, he's uh, he's got a bit of legs on him. Um, he's done he's done a lot of work over over the, um, the preseason, um, thinned down. Um, he's got a bit of a harder edge and a harder attitude. He's got something to prove this year, and that's really coming out in the first couple of games where he's really putting in. Um, kicking good goals from good distances, but also putting a bit of uh, uh, forward pressure when the ball's turned over, and he um, is linking in really well with Aaron Norton. So, really exciting to see the way the forward line is developing. Uh, can I say that the, the mid, the centre line, is just incredible at the moment? It's one of the most exciting um, centres that we've had um, in a number of years uh, with uh, 150 game player. Uh, uh, liberatory um, in, in the middle, um, getting in those hard balls. Um, on the outside, McRae, uh, Trelaw, Dunkley, Bontempelli. Uh, it's all class in that mid-zone and was shown through the game uh, against the uh, West, Coast, West Coast Eagles at Marvel Stadium. Um, Marcus Bontempelli was the real difference in the end. Um, he was on fire in the first half and was blanketed a bit in the third, uh, but came home in the last quarter with a winning goal uh, with 30 seconds left on the clock um, and had the fans up and about on their seats yelling and screaming. My voice is still a bit hoarse uh, from screaming at the game. I know we were sitting quite close together um, and we were up and jumping up when uh, doggies were taking the lead and then sealing the game with 30 seconds to go. It was uh, such a, a seesawing battle um, throughout the game. We had you know, lots of changes um, in the the uh, the lead 14 I think 14 14 yeah and it was really tight right throughout um, <coughs> I was a bit worried about how um, Kennedy how we're going to stop Kennedy and and Darling they're always the two ones when we go up against them they end up kicking a bag 
um, they can't miss. Like it, it, um, when Kennedy's up, up, in, got the ball in his hand, he's set shot. He just goes straight through the middle every single time. Darling was, well, starting to get worried about him, but um, in the back line, um, Bailey Williams really stood up, which I thought was great. That um, that uh, collection of the possession right near the end of the game mm. and sort of jumping up and down and putting his arms everywhere with the ball in his hand. Well, beat three. Beat three yeah. opponents uh, with about a minute left on the clock. Uh, got a handball out, um, which eventually went uh, to Basilinka. Mm. Um, and then kicked down to Bruce and then a kick to Bontempelli. A great play and a great mm. exchange. Um, really shows that will to win and really shows a real maturity and composure that we um, haven't seen for a long time. So I'm really excited about the prospects for the Doggies this year. Certainly Nat Newey was running right in the middle, um, even without our tall timbers, our two pillars in, in the ruck contest. Um, Nat Newey was having a field day in the centre, but it was that uh, dominant Doggies mid-zone which won the day, getting more of the ball out of the centre mm. and into the forward 50. Um, you're right to say that um, Kennedy and Darling were a real lot of trouble for the doggies in, in their forward line and our back line, and certainly Liam Ryan and Oscar Allen were also causing a lot of headaches down the back there. I still think there are still some question marks about uh, the ability of our back line to hold uh, those tall forward um, um, forwards like West Coast has mm. um, to account and to low scores. And certainly um, with uh, uh, Eastern Wood returning shortly, we'll put a bit more backbone into that defensive line. Um, but got to remember that those a uh, number of those key players in the back line don't have a lot of games under their belt yet. Gardner, um, around 20 games. Keith has only done 50 games. Mm. So there's a lot of maturity still to be built into that back line. Uh, but very uh, pleased with their development and mm. their uh, commitment to improving each week. And even though at times Gardner gives us a few headaches with his ability to hold his forwards to account, he's doing a lot of those things that we don't see those one percenters. He's actually doing a lot to shepherd, to block, to get the ball out to um, a teammate. Um, so it doesn't get the, the, the big kudos, uh, but certainly is important in terms of getting the doggies out, out of their defensive lines and back into the mid zone. Is it just me? I'm just going oh, a bit of a tangent here. Just me. Does Keith look about 35 years old though? He, he, he looks, he, I mean, he reminds me a lot of... He's a um, mature recruit. Very mature recruit. He reminds me a lot of uh, when Manny Croft turned up um, at, at the dogs, and he already looked like a 40-year-old when he was running around, and he stayed that age, I think, right until his retirement time. But well, we've got a good record of recruiting mature recruits at the, at the Bulldogs, uh, and uh, we can go back to, uh, you know, uh, Matty Boyd and, and others in terms of picking up people a bit, a bit longer in their career. They haven't had the early opportunities that some players have had. Mm. Uh, but certainly when it comes to, to picking players who can make a good contribution, I think the doggy recruitment team has, has done well with, with Keith because I think he's uh, very mature, he's a, he's a good um, um, intercept mark and he's someone who's going to make a good contribution to the doggies over time as well. Yeah, absolutely. And can I just say, being part of that 21,000 at the ground, it was just nice to be back at football. It really was. I haven't... haven't you know, such a parochial site, the team, all audience crowding, um, just really getting up at the end of it. It's, it's how it should be. Uh, and it's been, I've missed it a lot. And I think you as well, Jason, the family, who's, we had um, we have about 45,000 members, half of them are, other, are from our clan, um, just all pocketed around the ground. Uh, it was just nice to be able to say, yeah, we were there, first, first game back at home. Yeah, it's great to have uh, footy back in Melbourne after a, um, a year of uh, COVID-19 and certainly having, you know, 20,000 fans at Marvel 
even though it doesn't sound like a lot when uh, uh, the game's so tight and so exciting and a thriller, certainly had people um, screaming and yelling and, and raising their voice. Uh, I've, I've, I've attended a few games in Perth when West Coast have, have hosted the Doggies mm. and very one-sided crowds there. They might be 40,000 people in there and 38,000 are, are West Coast fans. So uh, I wasn't unhappy with the, the percentage of Doggies versus West Coast fans mm. at the game at Marvel. Uh, certainly uh, it's good to get the win and, and no, nothing more exciting than getting a win in the last 30 seconds. So the, the goal from Bodden Pally put us on top, put us over and certainly had everyone on their feet and cheering. So it was a, a really good uh, spirited win by the Doggies and a great start to the week. I think Adam uh, Trelaw has settled down well. He had all the all the, the dramas of, of round one against Collingwood, but he's um, he had a great role with us this week you know, on the inside. Particularly the last quarter. Um, yeah. his, uh, his, his run, his dash, his speed, and his clean disposal uh, is, is, is something which really is a standout. And in that last quarter, when things were um, getting quite tense and tight and we were um, down a number of goals. Um, he was a key player in making a number of good links between the teams. There was one particular um, exchange out of the middle, which was uh, 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 Libertori um, um, over to uh, Dunkley, to Trelaw, to McRae. Mm. Um, and the play was just a series of quick handballs or half kicks. Um, and the amount of uh, composure and maturity in that, that, that centre line is going to hold us in good stead for the rest of the year. And I'm very excited about what, what's coming up in the coming weeks and months. Yeah, same, same here. Um, yeah, Tom Hunt won 50 games. He's done really well. Um, he's, he's just, he is Bulldogs through and through. I, I, I can't say that anymore. Um, he has had a great role with, with the club. Um, and he, he just showed in his in his uh, milestone game just just how important he is to us, um, with the ability for him to um, just get the ball, get underneath. We even tried to sneak up a goal in the forward line for him, but uh, kick went a little bit awry. But uh, he he did quite well um, for us, and you know, he's he is after all the ups and downs that he had in his career. It's really nice to see that he's getting that um, that that uh, focus and attention for uh, the, the role that he has at our, at our club now. Yeah, well, we we don't think back too far to think about the uh, his role in two thousand and sixteen and, and um, what he means to the team when he's not there. Um, he's certainly an, a, a key pillar in, in any success that we've had in previous years and, and going forward. Um, you need those players in, um, to get those hard ball gets in the middle of packs and in the centre. And between him and McRae, um, there's no um, better duo in in the league. Um, certainly the doggies really have an affection and a connection to Tom Libertori yeah. and having his 150th game with a, an inspiring win you almost felt like the doggies had to win and they had to do it for uh, t- uh, Tom Libertori and certainly you know he's, he's got another 150 games in him the way he's going mm. he, you know, like his dad he's going to have long longevity in, in terms of his time with the doggies and we hope that he has future success and more accolades and hopefully some future team success as well yeah, I think we sort of forget that uh, he had such a blinding year in uh, 2015 when he got the BNF. I think that was that was his year. Um, but he is he's important part. He's he's you know heart and soul of the club. Really, that's what it feels like. They, they look to him. He lifts them up. He gets underneath. There we go, Tom. We got him in our uh, in our room here at the studios. So it's good to see that he's uh, he's helped us out a lot. Um, so we'll, we'll get to the next game to um, preview for uh, the upcoming Good Friday clash with North Melbourne a little bit later. Yep. 
wanted just to touch on, on the last round uh, game with the women's team. Um, a uh, close close result in the end, but the doggies were too strong, getting up 45 to 32 uh, against Richmond at their home ground on, on Friday night. It was a, a, an interesting clash with uh, uh, Katie Brennan and Monique Conti returning, former Ooh. captain Katie Brennan and Best and Ferris um, Conti returning to the ground. I know you were unable to make the make the game and. We were missing a few people heckling and booing uh, yeah. Brennan and Conti in the crowd. It was too polite. That's what you get at AFL women sometimes. It's just a bit, a little bit too polite. Not as much aggro. Um, but I did catch the uh, the second half of the game streaming, um, and it was um, a really tough game. Uh, that's what I could see. There was a lot of scrum play, lots of movement. You got stuck in the middle for for quite a fair bit of the time as well. Um, and I think it's sort of. Uh, the dogs are on, well on, on the way to something really special, I think, for next year. I think if we keep those you know, good players that we've picked up, like Fitzgerald and, and uh, Eleanor Brown as well, from the, in, in defence as well, um, it would be really, um, I think, would be such a good team to, in the future. Yeah, I think you caught the, the better half of the game in the second half. The, the first half, uh, even though the doggies got off to a bit of a flyer and, and got a three-goal lead, um, there, was, there wasn't a lot of passion in the game or a lot of contest in the game up until about half-time. And the Tigers lifted, and they did lift uh, uh, through Katie Brennan yeah. and Conti in, in yeah, their right. respective roles and forward line in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirsten Lamb and Brooke Le- um, Langland were um, again two two of the best for the doggies. Okay. Uh, yeah, sorry, yes, and it gives the doggies um, uh, end of the year five four win loss mm-hmm. uh, record for the season and an undefeated record at their home ground as well, which is important in terms of staking their claim to future success uh, in the coming years. Yep. Um, a, a big year of improvement for the doggies. Um, and as you said, there is some of those um, ongo- ongoing mature players who continue to make good contributions week in and week out, led by inspirational skipper Ali Blackburn, who again was prolific and a determined leader with 20 disposals in the game, six tackles. Um, again, Eleanor Alan Brown had a, had a great game, um, uh, a game um, matched up against Katie, Katie Brennan and perhaps evenly matched in terms of their performance on the day. Um, Katie Brennan did score a number of goals and a number of assists um, and uh, also Alan Brown had a bit of a breakout night in terms of 19 disposals for, for uh, a back which was an impressive um, performance. Kirsten McLeod was great and dangerous in, inside 50 kicking a couple of goals and uh, first game of Nell Morris um, Dalton um, scored her first major at um, AFLW level as well, which was really exciting. Um, mm-hmm. uh, special note, um, even though Conti uh, displayed a couple of flashes of speed and brilliance during the game, she was well held by Elizabeth Georgia Thathus. Um, and again, uh, good mention um, of the performance of Alan Brown, who was a last round Rising Star nomination. Yeah. and points to a really uh, uh, good future for her mm. in terms of her building um, um, abilities in the back line. Uh, Bob Murphy perhaps also deserves a bit of credit in terms of the work that he's done with the back line again. And he was out there uh, marshalling the, the backs uh, during a very tight and tense last quarter. Mm. Um, the, uh, the back line um, has been uh, a point of difference um, this year in terms of performance of the doggies. They've been able to hold teams to a uh, uh, contest. Um, certainly, um, um, they'll need to improve uh, against the top teams if they want to challenge for the finals next year. So, they might be ruining the loss to St Kilda early and a close loss to North Melbourne, which would have put them in the finals mix. 
Uh, but looking forward to next year. I think they can step up again, make an improvement and, and look forward to finals. We'll do a full year in review um, in our next episode and uh, noting that we've had a couple of nominations for all Australian top 40. Yep. Um, we'll wait until grand final week in the women's comp before we do a full retrospective and review of the year, but a year of improvement and a year of raising standards. Absolutely, um, and it's, it's great having um, Huntington actually going into the forward line as well this, this year. She's, she does have such great presence in the forward, um, and I think the reliance of you know, putting your best play, you know, one of your best players in the back line to sort of um, lock everything up. Um, it's good that we've got a bit more depth in the back line now that we can let uh, let uh, Izzy get up forward and have a bit more of a play. Yeah, and she's all class. Um, she's just uh, um, mature, um, good skills. She's a big unit. Uh, she's someone who will be a star in the competition in the coming years. Um, I, I wonder whether she needs to be um, moved to centre half forward. Um, when any opportunity that she has that she moves herself uh, outside of the, the, the full forward line into the centre forward line, she shows her value and her strengths and her composure and her um, skill disposal. And I'm thinking that someone with such height and strength might be better placed at centre forward, but just a thought. Yep, yeah, I, I think so. I think she's got some um, yeah, great um, poise when she does get the ball and her uh, her disposal is, is really strong and uh, right on target as well. So um, I'm, I'm hoping we get a, a really good year next year um, and I think we'll, we'll talk about that in our year review and where to next with the, with the girls. Um, and uh, yeah, that's really, really good. I'm, I'm Ali Blackburn, just a star as always. It was a bit of a scare with her ankle during the first quarter, I think it was, but, uh, but she just is all class and I think she's one to be watching for the... Uh, for the AFL Women's uh, Best and Fairest. I think she's got a good, uh, quite big chance, um, especially with the way that she played at the start of this season. Uh, but I think she's been very consistent. I think that should probably be noticed by the umpires anyway, um, to give her a couple of votes here and there. And, and yeah, I think that's up. right. So she should be in the mix in the top five, I think, in terms of the results that come out of the um, Best and Fairest uh, for the Women's Comp. Uh, but let's just wait and see how that pans out and, and let's keep an eye on the way the finals develop and we'll give a full year of wrap, a year in review and a year wrap uh, in grand final week um, in the women's comp. Yep, absolutely. So now uh, we have the pleasure of uh, introducing the first uh, uh, segment, the first look at our prelim- preliminary final heartache and uh, this was an opportunity to look at all of those prelim- preliminary finals dating back to 1985 um, through the 90s and through the 2000s before our ultimate success in 2016. Um, we, we said to our, uh, our listener listeners that we'd have a look at those prelims and uh, give a bit of a um, review and a bit of a wrap on those. Uh, it's been an interesting um, couple of weeks to have a close look at 1985. Um, even though it, it was a bit of a heartbreak, it has been quite a, a good good process, Nick, to have a look through um, that, that, that great team and, and that time and what it meant uh, for the Doggies fans and having uh, a go into the finals and an opportunity to take a shot at a, a, a premiership uh, um, window and an opportunity to get into the grand final. Obviously, four weeks short in the end by uh, 10 points, but it was a good opportunity to have a look at the class of players and the team that was brought together at that time. Um, so, uh, 985 prelim, Footscray versus Hawthorne at Waverley Park. 15999 to 161309 uh, a 10 point loss heartbreak 21st September 85 more than 50,000 in attendance I remember going myself 
uh, a gorgeous sunny day, uh, but ended in uh, clouds and uh, disappointment in the end. Mm. Um, umpire by Glenn James and Rowan Sawyers, two umpires. First impressions, there's actually a, a video of it on, on YouTube that people can watch, and they can watch the whole grand final. It, uh, it strikes you when you first look at the game, how different the game is today versus what it was then. Mm. Um, the, uh, there's obviously, there's not a centre circle. The Ruckman to take a 20 metre run up for the run. Yeah, I, I felt sorry for Andrew Perth, so I thought he was yeah. going to act out a little bit of a sit down halfway because it was such a big run in. Um, it was, and there's no forward, um, there's no 50 metre arc. And um, the skill level was very different. Um, so we didn't have pinpoint passes to um, members of the team. It was a bit more uh, kick to kick. Mm. Um, and certainly th- didn't have the same uh, athleticism and running game that you see in today's comp. Mm. But 85 was a really interesting year for the VFL as well. Um, it was the start of um, some changes. Um, we had, uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, Essendon beating Hawthorne the week later in the grand final. But the uh, season was marred by a very nasty brawl between Hawthorne and Geelong, where Lee Matthews was actually charged uh, for assaulting um, Neville Bruns, uh, Victoria Police. And if you have a look at some of the games um, during that season, 85, that you might want to also look at uh, some of the rounds that uh, you can watch on video as well. It, it was a rough and tumble league at that point, and it was only really starting to change in terms of the protection of the players and the heads after some of those really nasty incidents that you saw. It was also the last games played at Arden Street Oval um, mm-hmm. at North Melbourne. And it was also the year that uh, Sydney Swans was uh, bought by Geoffrey Edelston. So a time of change and uh, um, uh, you know, private, private ownership of VFL clubs mm-hmm. at that time as well. Um, a bit of a scene set up. Michael Mothouse is his second year in the Doggies. Um, he'd uh, joined the Dogs the year before and had brought a real different attitude and a hardness to, to the doggies. A lot of the players, when they talk about Mick Malthouse coming into, into the club, talking that he and uh, fellow uh, chairman selectors, Wayne Walsh, who he brought over from Richmond, had a real can-do attitude and a serious attitude. Um, people like uh, uh, Doug Hawkins and Brad Hardy and Simon Beasley all say that they meant business. And certainly some of those players have been around for a while, like Rick Kennedy and others really saw a big cultural change and shift. Um, mm. So to get the doggies into the finals, mix in the second season of Mick Malthouse's um, um, coaching was a, a big success and a bit of a bolt out of blue. The doggies had a, a fantastic year. Uh, they were up and about winning games early in the season and they certainly um, got themselves um, to the top of the ladder with hopes of being able to match it with any team that year. They, they'd beaten every team. Uh, they faced this year, that year, and yep. certainly the ultimate premier, Essendon of all the teams, were the most worried about the doggies. So that folklore about, you know, if the doggies had just got over Hawthorne, they might have had a chance with Essendon, was sort of borne out by some of the feedback that you got from uh, Essendon coaching staff and players of the day. Uh, doggies finished second place on a 12-team ladder. Uh, in the first week of the finals, faced Hawthorne and, and got a drubbing, uh, 90, 90 um, 90 you know, point loss in the first week and, and certainly a bit of a uh, reality check in terms of the type of composure and the maturity you need in finals. Um, the following week they faced up against uh, North Melbourne, um, Beasley kicking his 100th goal mm-hmm. during that game. Yep, seven um, in total for that game, this one. Yeah, had a, had a little day out that day and uh, interestingly people still managed to run onto the field, it's something you don't see these days. No. But um, Beasley had a few taps in the back from uh, supporters who ran the field to 
congratulate him. And even after the end of the, the prelim final against Hawthorne, the players had to make their way through streaming crowds, which ran onto the ground as well, which is something you just don't see these days no. in terms of the, the um, protection of the players. Um, 85 was uh, a year which um, was you know, um, a great team, a great Bulldogs outfit, and a bit of what Malthouse might call the Moneyball team before Moneyball came into existence. So basically grabbed a lot of, um, and recruited and, and, and picked up a lot of unappreciated players from other clubs and other states. So we had uh, Simon Beasley, Alan Daniels, Andrew Purser, Jim Sewell, Brad Hardy, all from WA. I suppose we were almost like the West Coast team before West Coast came into existence. Mm. And then pickups from uh, Melbourne, Les Bamblett, Tony Harger from Essendon, Phil Mayland from Carlton, and Neil Perk from Richmond. So a real a mixed bag of seasoned performers and up-and-coming stars. Um, as well as the, the regular list of club champions that uh, people remember from the day, Brian, Neil Cordy, Jim Edmond, Peter Foster, Robert uh, Brackett, Captain Bronawagon, Doug Hawkins, Rick Kennedy, Stephen Wallace, uh, Stephen McPherson, Michael McLean, uh, Brian Chopper Royal um, as well. So you saw that you actually, when you look at that team, it was a, it was a real champion team, mm-hmm. a champion team of people who were brought in, plus a champion team of good um, club club. Uh, players as well. A lot of um, very important um, players who sort of kept on for the following years and, and went the ups and downs of the successes that we had there um, and yeah, all club champions that were, that sort of have been in that way it was like Choco Royal and and uh, Ricky Kennedy who was always a, a stalwart in the back line and um, always happy to give a bit of arge and barge. Um, yeah. Yeah, Rick Kennedy, uh, 100, more than 158 games recruited from Trelgan, uh, a tall fullback, um, state of origin um, pick in 86. Uh, probably had uh, many tribunal appearances during his time. He was a bit of a rough nut, and you saw some of that uh, during, the, during the play in the 85 prelim. Uh, Doug Hawkins was at his peak at that time. Yep. Uh, um, absolute champion, um, 180 centimetre wingman, Charles Sutton medal uh, winner, Footscray captain in 1993 and the VFL Team of the Year two times, so um, a real uh, legend of the game. Michael McLean, um, recruited from Northern Territory, first player coming straight from Northern Territory to the VFL. Winger, 180 games, 40, 40 goals with uh, Footscray and Brisbane Lions at, and Bears. Um, an Indigenous All-Star, 2003, 2007, and, and quite a strong anti-racism act- activist during those times in the VFL as well. Simon Beasley recruited from uh, Swan Districts, more than 150 games, uh, 575 goals for, for Footscray, common medalist in that year in 85, um, leading goal kicker for the Doggies, 82 to 88, uh, Footscray team of the year, uh, uh, century, sorry, and a Simpson medalist as well. Brad Hardy, um, um, we all remember the distinctive red hair and long sleeves, mm-hmm. recruited from South Fremantle, 150 games for Footscray Brisbane, and Conwood, team, uh, state team honours, 82 to 88 and 91. Uh, remember this national team, remember those, 84 to 86. Brownlow medalist in 85, uh, Charlie Sutton, uh, winner 86. AFL Hall of Famer in 2019, All-Australian, Tassie medal, Simpson medal, um, uh, and out and out champion. Obviously there was a bit of fallout uh, coming in uh, future years with yes, the Nighthouse. At the end of 1986. Yeah, um, and he, I suppose if you look at him now, and he was a real modern player, um, an attacking half-back or back-pocket player, mm. and you saw in the first three quarters of the preliminary final, Brad Hardy just owned that field. Um, his dash, his breaking through lines, 
Um, it, it is what you see today in um, modern halfback flankers. And certainly there was a couple of plays during the game where he just burst through um, a contest, grabbed the ball, was able to break through a number of tackles to get um, the ball into the doggies forward line. So, and uh, his and his um, his control of the back line really basically puts uh, uh, Lee Matthews on the bench. Um, it did I think I think Lee Matthews went on uh, on the bench in the first quarter and, and they sat him out. Um, he, he um, his attacking game basically put put a shade on on uh, Lee Matthews. Um, there's a lot of folklore about. Lee Matthews, Lee Matthews last quarter where he picked up a couple of goals and, a, and, a, and an assist or two um, but certainly um, if you look at the game as a whole Brad Hardy had an absolute ripper Absolutely. Um, just that um, arrested Lee Matthews coming on last quarter um, just made a bit of a difference in terms of the end result um, but I think if you look at more broadly across the Hawthorne team on the day you can probably pick a, a number of players who probably made more of a contribution during the day rather than just Lee Matthews I think there's a bit of folklore about the role so. of uh, Lee Matthews and then the relationship to Brad Hardy, which I don't think is entirely fair if you look at the game as a whole. Um, previously, um, the two teams had, had met during the year and they were one and one in terms of their respective wins. Um, the Doggies had been in a close contest at the, at the Western Oval in a, in a wet, dire, dour contest. Um, and uh, the had two different sort of um, playing styles where uh, Hawthorne had quite large. Um, position players, a running style of game, whereas the doggies were a bit more, um, a bit more uh, under the uh, under the uh, the contest and, and getting possessions through their um, brilliant um, centre players like Doug Hawkins and Michael McLean and others. So the eighty-five uh, qualifiers, as I said earlier, was a real shocker for the doggies, um, getting whipped by ninety-three points um, to come back from that um, that big loss and to get back into. A winning position after being in North Melbourne the following week was very impressive, and certainly the doggies had a lot of hope and a lot of um, feeling that they um, had a good chance to, to tackle Hawthorne at Waverley at, at the following week in the prelim. Um, um, if you have a look at the, the key matchups for the game, Andrew Purser um, and Chris Langford in the middle. Andrew Purser dominated in the ruck on the day. I suppose the, uh, the Hawthorne midfield was able to, to grab a bit of the ball off. Andrew, but certainly Andrew bested um, Chris Longford in the hit-out contests. Neil Cordy was on Peter Knights, and Peter Knights towards the end of his career, and Neil Cordy was good on the day. Rick Kennedy versus Jason Dunstall was the key matchup. Yeah. As I said, uh, Rick was a, a bit of a hard head and a bit of a hard nut, um, generally, mm-hmm. and was a bit of a, uh, gave a few, away a few uh, free kicks to Jason Dunstall. Just, just a couple of taps behind the ears was... was, was uh, there was, was also a boots in the back as well, so... Oh, that's right, yeah, that, that's when the, uh, in the forward pocket, was right. just a little step over. That's right. Um, but, but hands up, we didn't do anything. Yeah, right a bit of a shocker, but I think <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't cop that to in today's game. No. Um, Doug Hawkins' uh, game was matched up against Robert uh, Debbie de um, on the wing, another yeah. classic contest between those two stalwarts of the game. Um, Doug Hawkins, if you look at the video and, and look at his performance, is so clean with his possessions mm-hmm. and disposals. He's, he's got all the time in the world, he's got composure, and um, there was no one with more heart um, on the day on that ground than Doug Hawkins. We had Peter Foster versus Dermot Brereton, a young Dermot Brereton up and coming in the game. Still had that arrogance and flair that we saw many years to come, um, but at the very beginning of his, his career. Beasley and Mew. Um, Beasley, um, after that key performance against North, North, North Melbourne the previous week, um, a very tight contest between the two of them. 
and then as I said, Brad Hardy and Lee Matthews for a couple of quarters on the day. Uh, Brad Hardy was key for the doggies, um, um, threatening to win the game for the first three quarters. And as we've noted, Lee Matthews came back on and um, certainly had an impact in the last quarter. The doggies got off to a bit of a flyer um, um, with the aid of the breeze in the first quarter. Um, Jim Saul, a WA recruit, um, a former backman put into centre forward, um, got, us, got us going with a goal within um, 60 seconds of the opening bounce. Um, Steve McPherson had a huge first quarter, running loose in defence um, and uh, racking up um, possessions, moving the doggies forward into the forward line. Um, the doggies, though, even though Andrew Purcell was dominating in, in the stoppages and the, the hitouts, couldn't quite capitalise and uh, John Kennedy kicked a couple of goals for Hawthorne which got them uh, within um, uh, a couple of minutes within a couple of points. Um, Beasley had a, got a nice uh, nice play from McPherson and leveled the scores and then there was uh, 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 displays between Doug Hawkins and Dippier Domenico on the, on the wing entertaining the crowd of more than 55,000 people. Um, and then we had the young Michael McLean um, snap and regained the lead for the doggies um, and then we had uh, Jason Dunstall marking strongly kicking a goal from 25 metres out so in the first quarter we were 3-2 apiece um, and uh, um, matching with uh, with Hawthorne perhaps not taking some of the opportunities that we had um, with a couple of uh, seconds seconds remaining uh, Jim Edmonds uh, took a, a great mark um, sorry take a pie and tackle on the boundary line and let kick from a free kick uh, with a massive torpedo punt and sailed through to give us a, a lead at the first change. So um, eight point lead in the first first change. Um, lots of run from Hardy in the back line. Um, as we said, Lee Matthews was um, shut so much out of the game that Alan Jeans put the veteran on the bench for a couple of quarters. Um, Jim Saw was good, taken by marks and uh, deserved a better return than a single goal from three shots. Um, um, the uh, Hawthorne um, forwards were held and probably best served by John Kennedy um, who in his two goals keeping their side within striking distance. Um, so there was a lot of hope in that first quarter that we were um, in front and, and matching with Hawthorne and certainly um, we had a lot more of the ball than uh, Hawthorne did in that first quarter so mm. fan, Doggies fans at Waverley that day in that first quarter with the same signing were thinking we were really in, in for a shot here and there was a real opportunity to break uh, you know, a 20-year um, hoodoo of being in a grand final all the way back to 61 at that yeah. point. Yeah, and that's what it is. Going into um, quarter time, there was a lot of uh, optimism coming through. Um, and I guess how we started off in the, in the second quarter was was quite impressive as well. We had um, uh, the magic of McLean and, and Choco Royal um, just having a good little bit of time in the forward line and kicking two goals for us popping us up into a, or helping us get, get into a 14-point lead. Um, Les Bamblett was uh, was really good um, for us, I think, when he when he came over us from, from Melbourne. Um, and uh, I think he, he sort of, that extra bit of um, flair in, in, the, in the midfield was, was quite helpful. Yeah, as you said, good linking uh, with McLean and, and Royal between the three of them, and uh, we managed to push our lead out early to 14 points. Um, yeah, as you said, um, former uh, Morris medal winner, uh, played for Melbourne, transferred to Western over the, the preceding winter um, and a real bit of flair and um, although he probably wasn't at his best on the day, mm. uh, Bamblett, he was a key player during the year and a lively uh, forward for the Doggies. Um, shortly after though, the, uh, the Hawthorne team hit back with 
um, a coast-to-coast goal from Ken Judge um, to kick their lead um, back to um, um, uh, within 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 one goal, um, and uh, uh, later um, just clicking down to the end of the first half, um, Judge chipped in his uh, second um, um, goal of the quarter to seize advantage. So at half time we were actually down forty six to forty two. And uh, the Hawthorne pre-game favourites were edging us out at half-time. So a, a lot of talk about um, Hawthorne taking control of the game midway through that second quarter. The optimism and the hope the Doggies fans saw in that first quarter and, and the beginning of the second quarter faded a little bit. And certainly um, some of the maturity and, and the run of Hawthorne um, started to tell in relation to um, control of the game from that second quarter. What we saw happen in the third quarter we um, saw again um, us starting quite brightly in the third quarter but squandering a number of scoring opportunities. Richard Loveridge for Hawthorne was um, damaging on the ground uh, for us um, and he kicked really from full pocket. Dunstall kicked um, one shortly after um, and then the Hawthorne team were building up quite a handy buffer in the third quarter. McLean uh, goal to, to register our first, first goal for, for the half. Um, but almost immediately the three goal gap was restored thanks to another another goal from Judge. Uh, Chris Langford and Michael McCarthy were holding their own against Person in the ruck and time on learning the, the bullies needed to get a, get a move on but we were going to stay in the game. And then we saw Saul from a 50 metre bomb and then Hawkins from a set shot 45 metres dead in front helped to make it a one score game. Just minutes before the third quarter time siren uh, that uh, Glasbourne Glasgow-born uh, star Jim Edmund uh, gave teammates and supporters reason to believe that his club um, were on the brink of qualifying for the grand final um, in, a, in a brilliant passage. Uh, Edmunds was the final link in a play, as I said previously, started off with Hardy um, with a dashing uh, intercept of an errant kick, avoiding um, oncoming uh, raging bull uh, Debbie Domenico, taking a bounce, hitting Brian Royal in a 10-metre hand pass, uh, Royals 15 metre hand pass found fellow um, um, Gippslander Edmund and Skipper slammed home his shot from 40 metres out um, the crowd, at least the ones in red, white and blue erupted and we thought we were in for a really good shot. Um, three goals in five minutes to send the bullies uh, grab the ascendancy in the game. Uh, a couple of uh, behinds prior uh, to the Bellasaw Hawks turn uh, for home leading by the barest of margins, um, 68 to 67. Um, so you can imagine uh, the, the fans at the ground in the day, um, one quarter to go, one point down, haven't been in a final since 76, haven't been in a prelim since 61, haven't won a grand final since 54, thinking that we had a real hot yeah, chance, absolutely. A lot of hope, a lot of, uh, a lot of wishing and praying, um, and certainly um, going into the last quarter with the, um, the, 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 um, the shade starting to build on one side of the ground, um, thinking that uh, we, we could be in a grand final next week. But the heartache starts here. Nick, this is the last quarter, and this is where uh, things go a little awry again. Again, we saw uh, Hawthorne take the ascendancy at the beginning of the quarter, and then the Doggies fight back to try to get within, uh, within distance to win the game. Michael McCarthy um, um, palms the ball to Matthews, who's back on the ground. Um, the agent veteran swoops. Um, Michelle goal luckily goes. Uh, touched on route um, to goal by Rick Kennedy, but a bit of a sign that Matthews was on the loose and rested up for a number of quarters, um, had a bit of um, go in his legs mm. and a bit of speed. Um, and 
then we had a kicking from a sensational end-to-end end-to-end effort by, initiated by Hardy, um, with cameos from Neil Pert, Hawkins, McPherson, and Gronwagen landed in the safe hands of Beasley's 30, um, 35 metres out, no ankle to speak of, four points for, for Beasley and four points from Doggies. Uh, that was Beasley's 105th for the campaign and put the, the Scraggers only, uh, put the Scraggers, put the Scraggers four points clear at that point. McCarthy answered his strong mark in the pocket and clever kick saw the lead change for the fourth time in 10 minutes and you can imagine the hearts um, um, of the Doggies fans at this point as, as we are. Uh, Hit the front early, but then uh, Hawthorne coming back. Then we had Matthews hitting Dunstall with a perfect pass and the Doggies trial by eight points. And then we had um, Matthews with his sixth possession in the last quarter, slotting through his first goal of the afternoon. And he did likewise with his seventh possession. And uh, unfortunately, the fat lady was starting to clear her throat. Yeah, Rexy had that point. Getting very excited there. Yeah. And then we had Bahaja quiet for most of the afternoon, marked and converted from just outside the goal square, persevered forward and notched a rare major to bring the crowd back to life. But then Dunstall outmarked, Kennedy notched his fourth, judge, uh, uh, judge added another, and it was pretty much all over by that point. Um, we had some consolation efforts from Gornawagan and Boyle to reduce the gap to two kicks um, and time run out. So, um, game wrap, best for the doggies were Hawkins with 28 possessions, Harvey 24. Royal twin run positions, McPherson, McLean, Edmund are all good, basically good with three goals and Jim Silver two. But best for the Hawks, Loveridge, um, 26 possessions, Kennedy with 25, Wallace was everywhere, uh, Dibby and Domenico with 20, um, and uh, Judd with four goals and Dunstall with four goals were perhaps the difference in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, we had uh, Rodney E and uh, Terry Wallace both playing for Hawthorne on the day against the Footscray. Yep. Uh, two future coaches for the Western Bulldogs and, and eras of success in the 90s and 2000s. And that's the thing, when you sort of look at um, the Hawthorne side of the 80s, the, how many um, coaches were floating around there at that time? You would almost half your side. You, you, had, you had Knights running around there, you had Matthews, you had uh, Judge, you had, you know, um, yeah, Ede and, and uh, Wallace as well. It was it was a very uh, a team that had a lot of footy smarts, and that's where you can understand why they had so much success at that time. Yeah, a really modern team, strong, um, run and carry. Um, unfortunately for them, they weren't able to um, replicate their success the following week, and mm. they had um, an actual drubbing um, eighty-four point victory to Essendon the following week. Uh, but the Hawthorne team would recover from that shellacking in the grand final of eighty-five and take three of the last four pennants before the decade was out. Um, the Doggies couldn't replicate their success in the finals um, that they achieved in 85. They were knocking on the door every year. Mm. Um, they had um, um, one or two wins short of getting into the finals, including a heartbreaking loss to Melbourne in 87. To get Melbourne around. And Melbourne won and they went in. Um, right. And that was, um, I think, the only final series that... Uh, who was that over there from Melbourne? James Steins. No, not Jim Steins. It was um, Robbie Flowers. Flowers. Yes. Only final series that he ever I think that Jim Steins running through the mark. That's right. And one thing I thought was really, um, <laughs> when you do go back in, in, in back to look at the older you know, these games, is that you go, okay, what, what were the different rules floating around? Mm. And uh, seeing that 15 metre um, penalty, <laughs> it was very interesting to see how teams we were exploiting that at that stage. Oh, they were. They were. Yeah. They'd used that to allow their team to build a defensive wall mm. and the 15 metre penalty ended up being more of a penalty to the, the team with the ball and uh, the professional free kicks that 
we saw even in the prelim mm. final where they would hold the player up knowing that they cop a 15 metre, but it would allow their, their lines to move back to ensure that they have people in place for when the kick actually came. Um, that's right. I mean, the, the game has obviously moved on and, and rules are tweaked every year, uh, but certainly that 15 metre rule was uh, not, not the greatest. So we're probably glad that we've got a 50 metre rule that actually has a real impact and a real penalty to the team who's infringed. Yep. So the doggies are unable to break their 53 year premiership um, drought at that point, um, and uh, we had to wait until 92 before we'd see similar success um, uh, again with the doggies. So uh, that's the first of many prelim heartbreaks that we'll cover in another of our episodes. We'll um, go to 92 in a couple of weeks' time, or a couple of episodes' time, um, but certainly um, 85 um, should be remembered not only for the prelim heartbreak, but for a champion team a real money ball team made up of key recruits from WA from other teams and some of those real champion um, club players that we, we all remember and love to this day. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's move on to our Bulldogs of, uh, legendary Bulldogs of past times. Blast from the past. Blast from the past. Uh, we could even call it Legends of Bulldogs Past. We want to do it that way as well. Um, so this this uh, this episode, we're looking at uh, Arthur Edwards. So Arthur Edwards was a, uh, a follower slash ruckman slash halfback half forward uh, player that we picked that uh, joined the club in 1951 and played his first game in 1951. Uh, he was uh, 17 years old when he was uh, made his first debut with with the Western Bulldogs of oh, Footscray at that time. Sorry, um, in 1951, uh, he'd already done two years um, as an apprentice uh, during his apprenticeship with the Bulldogs. He came over in, in 1949 as a 15-year-old schoolboy from the Footscray District League, and he was from Sunny Tech. So there was lots of you know, different teams back then for the, for the uh, in the district. Um, and he worked his way up from his thirds and the seconds. He was uh, headhunted to an extent by his uncle, Uncle Dick Rawson, who was uh, the coach of the Footscray Fifth. So uh, that's sort of, I think, how it went uh, back in those days where you had someone in the family who was keeping an eye out for you. And, um, and so he was picked up there to uh, join onto the, onto the, uh, onto the, into the third. So, but he must, he must have been quite a, um, a talented young footballer at 15. Mm-hmm. And, must have been um, uh, quite mature and quite tall and um, have quite a good build at that point uh, to get picked up mm. um, both to, to win the best and fairest in the FDL uh, for the Logistic League but also to get picked up to start his, his run through the junior ranks of Footscray was a real achievement for him. Um, he's obviously also one of the immortals, one of the members of the 1954 mm. Premiership team. Absolutely. Um, um, but as you said, debuting in 51 in the last game of the season at turning 17 on the day, um, quite a huge achievement for any player um, and certainly in, in those days when it was a real rough and tumble and physical game. Mm. Um, and, and it was a very important game that he, he debuted in as well. Um, so it was uh, it, it was a finals eve, um, last game of the season against South Melbourne. The Dogs had to win to get into the finals um, and uh, he, um, he had a bit of a good go. He kicked a couple of goals uh, in the third term and uh, to set up the lead. And eventually, we, we, we did get on top of the Swans by 45 points to get into the top four. Um, the second match, um, his second match in the, in the VFL was, uh, was the final the following week. Uh, but the Dogs that week were about eight points short of uh, defeating Essendon. Um, Edwards had uh, two sets of goal, but they went a little bit wide that time around. 
Um, the next season and a half, he was in and out of the in and out of the side, um, and um, until about 1953, where he was uh, got his first match of the season again against Essendon in 1953. Um, he started at full forward, but moved to centre half forward in the second half and played a, 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 a important role uh, to secure the win for that game. Uh, and it was quite an interesting game that one we only kicked two goals uh, up until the three quarter time but the last quarter um, we kept the Bombers scoreless and kicked 7-4 and got a by, by a 16 point win so from there on in he was he was basically his, his spot in the club was uh, well put um, and he had his spot to work with um, yeah, so he'd, he'd sort of made his mark at, um, as a key position player by that stage and, and as you say from that point on leading into 53 and into the successful 54 season established himself as a permanent player and a key part of the team at that point. Absolutely. So in, in 1954, that's when he got the move into, into being a, a follower. And uh, so he had some um, uh, good bit of success um, floating forward and, and kicking a couple of go- good goals for us. There was an instance in the, the second semi against Geelong in 1954. He kicked a, a great goal to level the scores. And then uh, they went on... Um, we went on to win by 16 points to go into the grand final. Um, so, let's see. So, in, in the, the grand final, he, his role was uh, quite uh, pivotal. Um, he got 10 kicks in his 41st match. 41st match. And um, he things that he said about being a part of that team was, I'm um, just quoting from him, um, it was great. Uh, it wasn't so much excitement as determination. You could see the boys were on a job and they were going to finish that job. So he, the way he sums up uh, the team's victory is that um, every player was mates and they, uh, there's a saying in football that a champion team will always beat a team of champions and we were all mates and a champion team in my book. Yeah, a real, real ste- steely resolve comes out in both what he says about the team and, and, and the rest of the immortals. Um, I think there was also a bit of a, a comment he made in relation to the, the makeup of the crowd on, on the day in the grand final. Um, said the majority of people were actually supporting the doggies on the day. Um, supporters were overflowing the ground um, onto the ground around the boundary line. Um, he said that um, at times you'd, uh, you'd go over the boundary line and, and the members of the crowd would hold you up and throw you back into the contest. He said, although um, uh, given that m- most of the fans were doggies fans, uh, any of Melbourne players who also went over the line weren't thrown back into the ground, they were thrown somewhere else. So <laughs> it, uh, it always had a bit of a sense of humour, but as, as, as you point out, a real steely resolve and a determination from all the members of the team to have uh, ultimate success for the Doggies in their, their first premiership. Yep. And so he, he did play a, a role after the 54 uh, grand final um, at trying to get, get, emulate that success over a number of years, but um, it just, at that time the Dogs weren't quite able to get back up to those levels again. A couple of um, final series that we did go through. Um, until he retired um, in 1960, he had played 120 games. Interesting enough, he also uh, went on to uh, coach one game with Fitzroy in 1961. Um, so that was his um, experiences as well. It's his, uh, the family that he's a part of, the, 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 uh, the genes, I guess you can sort of look at it. It's quite interesting is that uh, his, his Family is probably the, the is the second team, uh, second family with words out blah 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 that uh, was able to achieve. The footy force runs strong in that family yeah, line. Thanks, isn't it? thanks, Jace. Yeah. Um, that they were, it's um, we've got a generation of four different four different generations who played at least a hundred AFL, VFL AFL games 
coming back to his um, his uh, fa- uh, father-in-law. Uh, where's his name? Frank Dolly Aitken. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, and then uh, Arthur's son, Alan Butch Edwards, uh, played for Collingwood Richmond. Um, and, and the doggies. And the doggies and finished in 1984. That's right. Um, and then uh, his grandsons and great nephews, uh, grand nephews, um, Jake Edwards for Carlton and Shane O'Bree, who got 100, uh, over 100 yeah, great story, four generations. Yep. So it's, you can sort of see that, uh, that uh, the, the, the quality sort of runs in the genes, and that's one great example there. Um, that you see father sons, and you see now you see father daughters now in, yeah. in some of the, um, the teams, that, and the players getting picked for these AFL levels. Um, but it's not often you see three or four generations of, of, of um, successful um, uh, football, football players. So incredible, incredible story, incredible lines um, through that family as well. Absolutely. Um, and unfortunately, we, we lost uh, Arthur in uh, 2006, at the age of 71, but he, has, he is seen as a, a legend of, uh, of the Western Bulldogs and Footscray Football Club uh, for the pivotal role that he played in the 1954 Premiership and and his uh, legacy that he's um, had for the um, football uh, football fraternity. Yeah, um, and, and what, what a good opportunity to, 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 to remember him as uh, one of the immortals of 54. Um, I think in future episodes we'll, we'll have a look at some other um, legends of the club and some other heralded players. Mm. And certainly um, it's important that we not only talk about the players today, but previous decades and, and previous um, previous team, so I look forward to having a look at some of the other players from the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and onwards uh, to have a look at their contribution to the Doggies teams over the years and it was great to learn a bit, a little bit more about Arthur and a key member of the um, 54 and more Premiership team. Absolutely. Um, the, the Good Friday game today versus North Melbourne, um, an opportunity for Doggies to go 3-zip. Um, North Melbourne, although a lowly team, um, is always a threat. Um, mm. in relation to uh, any team that takes them on. Um, big, tall timber across the ground. Um, a couple of key ins for the doggies. Yeah, it's a couple of, yeah. Uh, Eastern Woods got his uh, hamstring and all these other old man injury muscly bits working a bit better uh, now, so he's, uh, he's come back in. And uh, a little bit of running off the half, half back flank with a bit of JJ action happening. Yeah, Jason Johansson um, back, back in the team. Um, perhaps something that was a little bit missing even in the good win against the West Coast. Mm was a little bit of run off the half-back line, um, so it'd be good to see how they fit into the mix. Mm. Um, been, as I said previously, really excited to see how the team starting to gel in the middle and the forward line and, and some of our defensive lines. Um, we just to see how Eastern Wood adds to that and the way that JJ can work in with the team with his extra run as well. So yeah, A lot, lot of um, lot of experience coming back into that back line, which is... Um, we've had, you know, the, the, the back line we've had so the first two games have stood up quite well and I'd be interested to see how that balances out with, with the experience of Eastern World and the experience of JJ coming through um, to, uh, to help us uh, going in the last bit of a big one this one yeah, um, yeah absolutely um, and making way for them we had, uh, had uh, Wally uh, Mitch Wallace and uh, Pat Lipinski um, just um, taking a bit of a, a break this week yeah perhaps they're both a little bit unlucky um, I think um, um, Wally's a little bit down on form, a little bit down on confidence. Lipinski might be the, the more unlucky of the two, uh, but I think what's important that is, is that um, we reward um, people who are in good form um, and that you, you earn your place, everyone earns their place in the team. So more than happy to see a couple of changes as we get um, some other 
players back from injury, yeah. um, an opportunity for people to, to put their best forward, to, to gain and hold their position on the team. So look forward to the game this afternoon. So uh, it might be time to, to wrap up. We're, we've gone well past our a lot of a lot of time. Uh, Absolutely. Um, this week. Just, just before we finish off, um, yep, uh, Tim English is his 50th game uh, this round as well. So he's he's been great for us coming in there as well um yeah so let's uh, i guess we need to finish off now um thanks everyone who who uh downloaded us and streamed us and all the other good things for our first episode it was really great great to get a bit of uh, feedback um and a bit of uh, a bit of warm and fuzzies um in the last week or so um if you do want to um tune in to us you can catch us on all the all the good uh podcasty type uh, places like iTunes and Spotify and uh, Google Club, oh, Google, not, sorry, that's schoolwork, <laughs> Google Podcasts um, and, uh, and iHeartRadio and all those other good ones. We have a, uh, we have a uh, Facebook page as well, which is, um, if you just do a bit of a search for a couple of drop kicks from the Witten Oval, we'll pop up there and give us a like there and you can sort of get, get updates uh, whenever we, we get ourselves yeah. busy. So look, look for us on those social platforms. If you've got some ideas in terms of some of the topics you'd like to us to, to cover some games or some finals campaigns you'd like us to have a look at, we'd also like to hear from you about your rituals, about your pre-game, uh, pre-game rituals or superstitions. Um, give us, give us a, um, a shout out on our social platforms with a post and we'll um, tackle them in future episodes. So today we heard on the, the, the game wraps from the, the good win on West Coast and the last game for the women against Richmond. We, we covered the prelim final and covered one of the legends of the past with Arthur Edwards and had a look at the, the game coming up. So we'll cover some of those similar topics in the next episode. The game wraps, the, the legend, legendary games and final campaigns and another legend from the past. So I look forward to, to catching up with you again, Nick, and, and listeners um, in future weeks. Absolutely. Um, yep, have a good one, Jace, and uh, till next time. Woof, woof. Sons of the sea, now bobbing up and down like this. Sailing the ocean, bobbing up and down like this. Hurry up there, Ma, you're a couple of bob out. They may build their ships, my now bobbing up and down like this. But they can't be the 